can share with someone next to you, and I believe they're going to be projecting the scriptures as well to the book of Galatians, the book of Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to be reading from verse 19 to verse 25, Galatians chapter 3, verse 19 to verse 25. We're starting a new series today, and we're going to be dealing with that, the, the topic of not optional, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to start here in, in, in Galatians. When you got it, say so. Galatians chapter 3, verse 19, you got to say so? so. And it says, what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate to one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there has been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the privilege and opportunity that I have this, this morning to share your word with your people. Thank you for the reminder of your grace and graciousness toward us. Thank you, Lord God, for opening our eyes to that truth again afresh this morning. Thank you for marking our hearts. Thank you for our worship team, Lord God, as they prepared, as they prayed to lead us into focusing on you, Lord God, into worship of your great name. I pray, Spirit of God, that as we have worshiped you in song, that we would now worship you in thought, in meditation, in focus this morning. Let us be focused on your word, on your truth, and let us be changed for your glory, for your name's sake, and let us not just hear your word, but let us do it in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, please raise your hand. We want to make sure that you get an outline. That way you can follow along uh, throughout the introduction. You can answer some questions. Uh, you'll also have the main points. Um, and I want to be sure that I put this challenge out there. I say this weekly, <clears throat> but I want to make it crystal clear. If you are not, if you are not helping someone else grow in their faith, you are not being faithful as a disciple of Jesus. Did you hear that? Yeah. This is not something... It's not optional. Hello, right? This is, this, is, this is not optional. This is not like, well, the spiritual people can do that. You should be spiritual people. Hello, somebody. All right, you're a believer in Jesus. Therefore, you're called to make disciples. One way that you can help someone grow in their faith is by sitting down with them and going over what you have learned on Sunday morning. And so my challenge is every week that you purpose. Right now, if you don't have, a, if you don't have someone in your life, right now you just think about that person. You can write their name down on your, on your outline there. And you can think about, okay, how can I sit down? with this person and talk to them about Jesus, right? How can I sit down with this person and share with them and help them grow in their faith? Because here's the thing, that when you decide that you are going to help someone else grow in their faith, two things are happening. Number one, you're helping someone else grow. You're helping someone else build their faith in Christ, right? But number two, your faith is being strengthened. 
When you sit down and you start to teach someone the things that you're learning, it puts two things that, that happen. Number one is it makes you think about the sermon a little bit more, but number two, it makes you accountable for what you just said to them. So if you're talking about certain scriptures, you're talking about certain things, guess what? They're going to be looking at you like, okay, now you live in that. And that's a good thing for you because it holds you accountable. And so do that, please. I mean, don't let the year go by that you haven't begun to disciple anyone. And so we are starting, like I said, a new series. It is entitled Not Optional. It is foundationally in Galatians. And what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we are going to walk through the Ten Commandments. And so we're going to deal with the Ten Commandments that are found in the book of Exodus. And we're going to go week by week. And we're going to deal with one command at a time. But before we do that, I wanted to lay this foundation because we have to understand the purpose of the law, which is the title of the sermon this morning, the purpose of the law that we find in the New Testament. What does the New Testament tell us as far as the purpose of God's law? This is not the only place that the New Testament speaks about the law of God. However, this is a place where it really shows us the purpose and the heart of what the law was about. And so if you look at your outline, the first paragraph here, we live in a day in which relativism rules and absolute truth is rejected. The subjective has taken the place of the objective. No longer are we all held to the same standard in every situation. The use of the words all and every are offensive to many as well as we all by nature want to play by our own rules. See, we live in a day, we live in an hour where if it feels good to you, that's what I'm going to do. If it doesn't feel good to me, I'm not going to do that. And the reality is that that is not the way that God has called us to live. He has given us certain standards that we find in his word that show us what all of us should be doing. And as believers, we are held to this standard of living a holy life. And so if you are in here and you consider yourself a believer in Jesus, then you have to understand that the Bible is calling you not just to know the facts, but it is calling you to live the truth. Are you here? It is called, the Bible is, is giving you a mandate, this is what is expected of you, it is not optional. And if you are in here today and you are not a believer in Jesus, you have not put your faith in Christ, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you wouldn't call yourself a believer, I want you to know that these are the standards that God calls all of humanity to, and every one of us falls short, and there is only one hope, and that is Jesus Christ, and putting your faith in him, so that way you can be empowered by his spirit to live for him. Are you here? This is the truth, and so we have to understand that's the culture we live in today. And so it's not, you know, I mean, you look at all the different denominations, you look at what is going on in the church world today, and you see that, man, you listen to messages, if you, I, I do not encourage you to do this, but if you sat down for one whole day and you just decided you were going to watch a Christian station and listen to every single message that was preached, I guarantee you would walk away with some different thoughts about some things that should be crystal clear because it's all the same. Hello. Right? It doesn't mean that every pastor is going to say the exact same words, it, but it does mean that there are certain standards that are there that should be for everyone. That is not subjective to how I feel, how I desire to live, but it is objective truth. Right. So look at the second paragraph. Yet God's word found in the pages of the Bible is objective truth to all of his creation since he is above all in authority and wisdom and his standards are the same for every person in every Every situation they face. 
You know, sometimes I like to, I, I don't, my daughter, and sometimes I engage them. My daughter and my wife, they like to watch cooking shows, right? And there's one show that they watch. Some of you may have seen it. It's called Chopped. How many of y'all have seen Chopped? And so if you've seen Chopped, you know, you watch the show and stuff like that. It's pretty cool. You know, you watch them in the kitchen. I just, you know, I, I, I get bored after a while watching cooking because I don't necessarily like to cook, but I like to eat. So anyway, um, ultimately, uh, you know, listening, to, you know, watching the show, if you've watched the show, there's something that I heard, that I hear said more times than any, than, than any other phrase in there. And it is always this, did you use salt? Right? Did you use salt? And it's because you, I mean, and listen, you know, there, there, there's a bunch of different ingredients that you can use, but salt does something that obviously no other ingredient does. Salt does something. It brings out this flavor. It does something. It's this one ingredient, salt. And Jesus said, you and I are the salt of the earth. And if salt loses its saltiness, what is it good for except to be thrown on the dung hill? Dung, for those of you who don't know, you know what dung is, right? I don't need to explain it, right? Okay, so the dung hill, right? And, and that, that's what, that's what non-salty salt is good for. Nothing, right? It's, it's garbage. That's what it's good. And so we are called to be the salt. We are called. And how do we influence, how do we impact our culture is by us understanding that there is one standard for all of creation, and that standard is found in our Bibles. And when we sit down and we have conversations, see, Jesus said something to his disciples. He said, go ye therefore, right, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, listen to me now, to observe all things that I have taught you, and lo, I am with you until the end of the age. That's the end of the book of Matthew chapter 28. What did he say? He said, teaching them all things that I have taught you, so that way they know it. Is that what he said? No. He said, teaching them to observe all things. In other words, it wasn't just so that way people would know what God's standards were. It was for them to obey God's standards. And so again, while we live in an age where, it's re where there's a bunch of relativism around, the truth is the truth, and we are the salt of the earth. Therefore, we are supposed to bring to bear the truth on our culture. We're to bring to bear. Listen, in your workplace, you are to bring to bear the truth. In your neighborhoods, in your conversations, in your family, you are called to bring to bear the truth of God's word, not subjective feeling and emotion and what you feel. Listen, that's all good right there. There's things that are called convictions, right? There's certain things that you can say, man, I feel like this shouldn't happen or we shouldn't do that. But there is something else that is greater than conviction, and that is God's holy word and commandments. And I cannot enforce my convictions upon you. You know, I, I, I can't tell you that you have to do. I can't tell you, you know what, man? You need to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning every day, and that way you can pray and be in the Bible. I can't do that. You know why? Because there's nowhere that I can go into the Bible and say, God commanded that every person on the planet get up at 5 o'clock in the morning every day. But what I can tell you is that you should be in prayer every day. You should be in God's words every day. Because what? Because God commanded that. 
God expects that of us. I, I, I can't tell you that you have to go to downtown Church Street and go and preach the gospel on the corner every week. I can't tell you that, but I can tell you this. You need to be evangelizing your friends. You need to be talking to the lost about Jesus. You need to be communicating the truth with every. See, see here's the thing. That may be a conviction that someone has, but that is not the standard. The standard of God's word is that we preach the gospel to the lost. And so what happens for us is that we need to come to the place that we understand what God requires, that we understand what God demands of us and expects of us, and then we need to live that standard, but we also need to communicate that standard. And so last paragraph here, the very purpose of God's law, which is summed up in two commandments by Jesus. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment of all? And he said, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all of thy might. And then he added this, he said, And the second is like it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. And then he concluded it by saying, upon these two hang all of the law and the prophets. So, you know, it's like a picture that is being held by two balances. And and, and what it is, is God's law, loving God and loving others. That's it right there. And so he summed it up in in, in those two commandments. It is expounded in the Old Testament by 613 commands. Understand this. In the Old Covenant, there were 613 commands, and it was broken down into 365 thou shalt nots. And so you had one for every day of the year, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And then they had 248 thou shalt, which is enough for your bones and your organs in your body. And so the way they broke it down was, look, for every day of the year, you had something that you shouldn't do. And for every bone and every organ in your body, you have something that you should do. Hello. So all of your life, that's how the rabbis broke it down. And then the, 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 um, the, the, it, it is contained in the Ten Commandments that were found. I have found written there, but you should have written on the tablets given to Moses because God, by his finger, wrote down the commands on those tablets so that way man could have them. And what was the purpose? The purpose is to bring us into an encounter with the perfection of God, revealing to us our sinfulness by contrast and our desperate need of salvation. So the purpose of God giving us this law is to do what? Is to cause us to encounter his holy standard. See, here's the thing, guys. When we look at our Bibles, when we look at what God calls us to do, what we are doing is we are encountering the holy standard of a holy God. Are you here? We are coming face to face with what God expects of his creation, what he expects of all of us as believers. And what will happen is when we are standing in in, in the presence of the holiness of God, there is something that occurs. There is a contrast that happens because I begin to look at the perfection of God. I begin to look at this amazing, perfect, and holy standard of God. And then what happens is I start to see, man, I don't measure up. See, someone asked me one day years ago, a couple of people have asked me this question because I preached on prayer, and as I was preaching on prayer, I was talking about the topic of repentance. And, 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 and in this topic of repentance, they asked me the question, do you repent every day? And immediately I said, yes, I repent every day. And they were like, yeah, but some days I live my life, and, and I don't feel like I sinned. And I'm like, bro, I don't care how you feel. Trust me, if you stand next to a holy God, you will feel sinful. Hello. See, the the issue with us is that we measure our lives by how we feel, not by the standard. 
You see, it's kind of like, and, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to minimize this like big time. It's, it's like looking at a picture of someone who has got like 3% body fat. They have like a 32-inch waist. They have like 50-inch shoulders. You know, just amazing, perfect. And you're like, man, that is an awesome standard. And then you look in the mirror. <laughs> well, I, you know, I'm not there, but, right? Listen, there is no but. You're just not there. I mean, maybe some of you are in here like, I'm good. I'm like, okay, amen. Well, I'm working toward that. But here's the thing, right? Like, if you're looking at that standard, I mean, think about this for a moment. I want you to think about how, how crazy that. As a matter of fact, you don't even need to think about how crazy this is because you've seen it. You know when you go to the beach and you see that person who is wearing that bathing suit, you're like, mm-mm, honey. You know that person. See, because what happened was they missed something. They think they look like that, and they really don't. Hello. <laughs> they, they think that they, that, they, that they are measuring to that standard. And, you know, I mean, they've had shows, right? I mean, they, you, you've seen the, you know, I hope you don't watch these kind of shows, but, you know, you've seen the show where there's like an intervention for this, you know, certain person of a certain age that's still dressing like they're another age. Hello, somebody, right? Like they're in a different generation. All right, just so, but. But you know how crazy that looks, right? right? That's why y'all are laughing because you're like, yes, this is crazy. Can I tell you something? That's how people are who live their life like they don't need to repent daily. Because they think they're living in that standard. They feel like, oh, I've arrived. Oh, I'm, I'm 3% body fat. Oh, no, you're not. Not in God's standards. Hello, somebody. You may have a messed up calculator, but I want you to know that when you start calculating with the right calibrator, which is the word of God, when you start measuring your life by the standard of God's word, you want to talk about repentance daily? It ain't daily, baby. It's moment by moment because as you're walking throughout your day, you're like, man, I missed that. Oh, my God. How could I think that? When that I'm just saying, am I, am I by myself in this? I mean, seriously, like when I'm living, it's not about at the end of the day, well, God, did I sin against you? My goodness, Lord, thank you for not killing me today, right? Thank you that I'm still living today because, my goodness, when I'm looking at the standard of holiness, the contrast is there, and it does what? It brings me to that place of my desperate, desperate need of salvation. And I'm either recognizing my need for salvation or I am grateful for my receipt of salvation. That's what it does. Because if I'm saved and I realize that I'm, that I'm falling short, man, I don't beat myself up about this. I come before the throne of grace and repentance and humility and confession and pray for the strength not to fall short again in the same area over and over and over again. See, here's the big idea for you today. When God's law is used rightly, it builds our faith in Christ. When God's law is used rightly, it builds our faith in Christ, right? We're committed to loving God. We're committed to growing together. We're committed to serving. We're committed to reaching others. And we are what? We engage people where they are, right? Building faith in Christ. We say that weekly, but what does that mean? What it means is that when we are living our lives, we live a life that is dependent upon Christ. I don't live my life dependent on me. I don't live my life dependent on my ability or my, my, my standards. I live a life that is striving toward the standard of God, and I am trying with all that is within me to do what? To have faith in Christ. And that is what we should be doing when we're dealing with our friends, our loved ones, our family members. We should be drawing them to Christ in a dependence upon him. And so the first thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, God's law doesn't save, but it is absolute 
standard for mankind. God's law does not save, but it is the absolute standard for all mankind. Now, the second point that I have, you'll see it on your outline there. The second point that I have is similar to this first one. But what I want you to understand, the difference between these two, is one of them is everybody on the planet. The second point is for us as as individuals and as believers, but the first point is about all of creation. And so the first thing I want you to see is this. Look at verse 19 and verse 20. It says, what purpose then does the law serve? So what is the reason? So Paul, remember, we have to remember that the the, the heart of the book of Galatians, right? And And I preach through the book of Galatians. You can go to our website and you can actually look through different sermon series that I preach and you can actually hear the whole sermon series that I preach through the book of Galatians because I'm not gonna do that today. But the heart of the book of Galatians is that God's promise of grace is greater than the power of the law, all right? God's promise of grace is greater than the power of the law. And so throughout this time, Paul is addressing the issue that these people, the Galatian church, was beginning to listen to these, what they were called Judaizers, or they were Jewish believers who were teaching that you were saved by faith in Jesus plus adherence to the law. You get that? See, it's, they're not saying what I'm saying, which is, I am saved by faith in Christ, but I must live for the standards that God places in his words. There's a difference. See, I'm not telling you that by you living holy that you're guaranteeing yourself to go into heaven. The question is, did you put your faith in Christ? And when I say Christ, I mean the Christ of the Bible. And I told you all before to pray for my brother, my, my, my youngest brother, uh, Pito. I went and we, my mom and I went to visit him yesterday, and I told you the reason I want you to pray for him specifically is because he has decided that he is going to be, that he's a Muslim. And so as he, ta- you know, we sit there and we talk and we have these conversations, you know, I, I go there, and honestly, I'm just being honest, when I go there, you may think that this is bad of me, but I intentionally don't, you know, go there with guns loaded. What I mean is, I don't sit down, I'm like, I'm going to see my brother, I'm going to have every question to answer for him, I'm going to just flip his belief system on his head. I'm like, bro, I want to love on my brother. I'm going to be there. I pray for my brother. But the conversation always is going to come up. Why? Because I'm a preacher and he's a preacher. He's just preaching for the wrong team right now. That's all, that's all it is. That's all it is. He's just preaching for the wrong team right now. And he's very studied, you know, for a young, for a young man. He, he's only been, you know, like two years and he's been, you know, trying to, you know, work out this Muslim faith and stuff like that. But here's the thing. He has a, they have a belief system. And the belief system is, right, that Jesus is, is, is the ultimate savior, right, that this is their belief, but Jesus didn't die for them, that, that, that Jesus never died for them, never rose, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And so his faith, so I'm like, okay, man, so, so, you know, I go, I'm like, bro, I'm like, so, so how, do, how do you know you're going to heaven? Like, how do you know that? Like, how, how do you even, oh, well, you know, my good works, I'm like, good, I'm like, bro, how many bad works have you done? Like, how can you measure your good works by your bad works? Like, like when is it that you know, okay, I've done enough? You know, and then they have this, they have this common belief with, uh, of, of purgatory, right? And he's like, well, you know, Christians and Muslims, they believe the same, you know, purgatory. I'm like, brother, I don't believe in purgatory. I'm not Catholic. Hello. Right? Because the Bible doesn't teach about purgatory. The Bible teaches what? It is appointed unto man to die once and then judgment. You get one shot at this life. And, and listen, and I don't pretend to know exactly what happens, right? I don't know if it's like you die, your eyes are closed, and when you open them, you're before the throne of God. I don't know what, I, I, I would be lying to you to tell you that I understand all that perfectly. But here's what I do know. I know what the Bible tells me, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Right? And so the, the thing here is, these Judaizers, they were doing the same thing that Islam is trying to do, and that other religions are trying to do, trying to make you think you can work your way into heaven. 
trying to make you think that you can be good enough to get into heaven. Listen, that's not the truth. I don't care, listen, how much you think. Paul, he says what? He says, I believe it's in Philippians that he says this. He talks about him being, uh, you know, a Jew of Jews. He talks about him being a Pharisee of Pharisees. He says, according to the law, blameless. Listen to this guy. According to the law, blameless. In other words, he was keeping the 613 commands. He was doing what he had to do. He wasn't doing what he didn't have to do. And whenever he fell short, he was offering sacrifices for all of those things. And so the guy was like, listen, I was keeping it. And guess what? He became the apostle of the Gentiles. You know why? Because despite his ability to keep the law, he recognized he needed a savior. He recognized that he couldn't keep the law the way that God commanded him to keep the law. And so that was the idea. They were trying to indoctrinate them and make them believe, okay, you put faith in Jesus, but you got to be circumcised. You put faith in Jesus, but you got to keep the law. You put faith in Jesus, but you got to do all of these things to make sure that you're going into heaven. And Paul is like, no, we are saved by grace alone and Christ alone who saves what? Repentant sinners who justifies repentant sinners. We're going to deal with that in a little bit. Before the law was given, here's the thing we got to understand. So he goes on. So what's the purpose of the law? And it says this. It says, it was added because of transgression. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. And so what is he talking about? He's saying that the law was given not by God directly to the people, but this law, this covenant of the law was given by God through angels to Moses, who was this mediator, and then given to the people. And it says what? It goes on, it says in verse 20, now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. And so he's saying God's grace, God's promise that was given about this seed is greater than this law. And so here's the deal. He's letting them know this, that the, that, that the promise of grace is better and more important. But here's what we don't want to forget. What we don't want to forget is that the law has a purpose. And what did the law do? It was added for transgression. Now, what does that mean? It was added for transgression. It was added for transgression because up until that time, people thought when someone did something bad or someone did something wrong, you know, they, they just kind of measured that by their own standards. So if you felt like lying, you know, like in our, in our culture today, you know, you ever heard of white lies? Anybody ever heard of white lies? I know none of you have ever told a white lie, um, but you know, you've heard of those things, right? And some people are like, well, what about if it's a white lie? You know, I just, I, you know, my wife asked me, how did I look in this? And I just don't want to get killed, right? So, I mean, I just, I'm like, babe, you know, you look great. I, you know, whatever the case is. Or, you know, it's one of those innocent lies, right? Can I tell you something? Jesus died for all of those lies. Jesus had to die for those lies because no matter how justified you are in telling the, the, the lie, it's still a lie. There's no such thing as a white lie, but, but, but the point is, in that, in that time before the law was given, you know, you could get away and be like, hey, man, I, I feel justified by this, right? But then God gives the law and does what? He says, no, 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 here's a standard, that's sin. Here's a standard, that's right, this is wrong, period. There's no question. So now we can have a conversation that is not based upon how you feel or I feel, but how does God feel? Because God lets us know how he feels. So what does that mean for us? That means when you sit down and you have conversations with people, you don't have to be like, well, I'm not sure. You are sure. The Bible says it and makes you sure. Hello. This is what the Bible teaches. It's not about how you feel. I don't care if you like the command or not. This is what the Bible says. That's what God communicates. And so here's the thing that God makes it clear. And here's the problem is that too many people believe sin and obedience are relative issues. So you can obey when you want to obey. You can do, you know, you, you, if you feel justified not to obey God, then you're good because you don't feel it. Hello. When did God ever say that in his word? Never. 
He never communicated that. He said, this is what I feel. This is what I say. These are my standards. This is how you're supposed to live, period. He makes it crystal clear. But too many people think obedience is like, oh, well, when I want to obey, so we pick and choose. Remember what I said in the beginning in the intro? That all of us want to play by our own rules. We all want to pick and choose which commands we obey. We want to decide how far, you know, we can get. You know, I remember, I remember being a youth in, in, in youth ministry as a youth pastor, and I remember having conversations about, you know, what, you know, what are the limits of sin, right? And, and, and what I realize about people is that most of us want to get as close to the edge as we possibly can before we fall over. That's how we are. We want, we, we ask questions like, hey, is this wrong? Because we want to do what? I want to get close to that edge. I, I want to get as close to the edge and have as much fun as I can and enjoy as much of this life as I can and still feel like I'm within the boundaries of okay with God. Can I tell you how dangerous that is? Because it's only one push before you fall off the edge. It's only one step. You know how many times I've almost fallen down these steps? I mean, seriously, like, I mean, you, you're walking somewhere and you're walking near the edge and, and you're not paying attention and you fall over, right? And so, hold on a second. This is where we're at. You know what I always tell young people when I, when I was youth pastoring and what I tell people nowadays? Man, you don't need to play as far, as, the, as far to the edge as you can. You need to play as close to the middle as you can. You need to be as far away from sin as you can. If you have a question about it, hey, don't do it. Anything that's done with doubt is sin. That's what the Bible says. And so again, God's standards are our holiness. God has a standard for us to live by. And we should do what? We should be living according to the clear and absolute standard of God. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is to say God's law can't give us life, but shows us the standards for living our life. God's law cannot give you life. Look, Paul says it here. Let's go ahead. Let's continue reading. Look at verse 21. He says, is the law then against, against is, is the promise, is then the law against the promise of God? Certainly not. Understand this. The promise of God's grace and the law of God, they are not opposed to each other. They work hand in hand. They're like a left hand and a right hand. They work in tandem because what God's law does is it shows you God's perfection, it shows you God's holiness, and it shows you what God calls us to as far as how we are supposed to live, and then it does what? It shows us, man, I've fallen short. I can't do that. This is how I should strive to live, but now i got to put my faith in Jesus. So the law is not a bad thing. It just has no life. But look what he says. He says, for if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, listen, man, you can try to keep the law all you want, but you are never, ever going to be the righteousness that God wants you to be. You're never going to achieve that righteousness. He goes on and he says in verse 22, he says, but the scripture, listen to this. But the scripture has confined all under sin. Now listen, all of us, by, because the scriptures do what? The scriptures alone bring condemnation. The law of God alone condemns us all. It shows us, remember, the standard of the law came to show everyone, this is God's standard, this is how you're supposed to live, and then we fall short. All of us, all of us are confined under sin, but not just to be left in our sin. It's for what? That the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And so what's the purpose again of the law? The law confines us all under sin so we can do what? Look to Jesus, right? Look at verse 23. It says, but before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. Now notice what he says here. 
Before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. What was happening? The Galatians were thinking, hey, I can keep the law perfectly. And Paul says, no, you were actually being kept by the law. You can't keep the law. The law was guarding you. The law was keeping you. And you know what? You were confined under sin. But what was the reason for that? He said, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. And so what was the law keeping us for? We're going to look at that in our next point here. But the law was keeping us. We were all bound and we were under that condemnation. And so here's the thing. We have a choice. And this is the choice twofold here. We have a choice to make in the face of God's high calling. Because what the law does is it shows us this is how you are supposed to live. This is how you're supposed to govern your life. That's the standard that's there. You may fall short, but that's what you should strive for, right? The laws of God. And next we'll talk more about how we measure a law and how we know which laws are for us. But in short, we have these laws that we should be living our lives for. And so we have a choice. We can either, in the face of this, we can either respond in faith in Christ and his word to grow in our character through sanctification by repentance and faith. That's the first option, right? The first option is we can respond to God in the face of God's high calling, in the face of God's high standard. I recognize, man, I'm falling short. I'm not living the way that I should live. I'm not perfect the way that I should be striving toward perfection. And so I repent. I come to God and I bow my heart before him and I ask him, God, give me the grace so I can live your standards. Give me the grace so I can grow in holiness. Give me the grace so I can obey your word. That's choice number one. Or you have this other choice, and it is to do what? It is to go on ahead and reject his call. And we reject God's call by two things. Number one, we reject God's call by simply saying, those standards aren't for me. See, what we see in our culture all over the place and what we see in the church in many, in many areas is what? We see people saying, oh, those standards, those are antiquated, right? Those, those, don't, those don't matter today, right? That, that, that's old school stuff. Those were things that were meant for those people, not for us. False. <laughs> Fake news. Hello, somebody. That's what it is, right? Not true. You're believing a lie. The standards are there for all, for all generations, right? The truth, what God commands, they are there for God. Now, here's the thing that we have to understand, that we have that is one way that we reject it. But can I tell you the other way that we reject it? The other way that we reject God's standards is by accepting cheap grace. What do I mean by that? Listen, if, there's some, if, you, if you shut me out on the whole sermon, get this right here, write this down, because this is probably going to be one of the most important things that I'm going to say to you this morning. God came to justify repentant sinners, not your sin. Did you hear me? God came to justify repentant sinners, not your sin. See, what cheap grace says is, man, I've fallen short. I'm never going to live the standard. And so you know what? I have a pass to go and just say, hey, God, forgive me because I fell again. That's cheap grace. God did not die to justify your sin. He died to justify you. In other words, when does justification take place? It takes place the moment that you recognize you are a sinner. You are violating God's law. You are breaking the laws of God. You are against him in your behavior, in your attitude, in your actions. And you say, God, I can no longer live like this. And then you repent, turn away, change the way that you're thinking. You come to him by faith and you trust him. And then he justifies you. Hello. See, there's a difference. 
See, in our day, the, 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 the gospel is being so watered down in our culture that everybody thinks that they can just continue to live in sin. And people think because, and, and listen, I firmly believe this, that we are born into sin. The Bible teaches that. I believe that we, as long as we have flesh in our body, we will battle with sin. We are going to be sinners like that in the sense of the battle and the struggle we have until the day that we are glorified, 100%. Listen, and that is just a reality. But can I tell you something? That is no way, shape, or form a justification to live in sin. You hear me? That is no way a justification for you or I to live in sin. That is cheap grace. And so the, the, the choice is ours when we come into face-to-face with the standard of God. Either A, I repent of my sin, I trust Jesus, I ask him to sanctify me, meaning to separate me for his glory. I ask him to call me to live a holy life, and then I walk in that justification and I continue to come before him when I fall short. Or I simply say, the standard's not for me, or even worse, I say, man, I'm never going to make the standard, so God's grace, God's grace, God's grace. And listen, God's grace does not enable sin, it empowers righteousness. That is what the grace of God does. The third thing, and I'm getting ready to wrap up with this. Say this with me. God's law must always bring us to Jesus. God's law must always bring us to Jesus. So what was the purpose of the law? Look at verse 24. It says, therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified not our sin, that we might be justified by faith, but after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Therefore, the law was our tutor, right? It was a tutor, and, it was, and, and, and we talked about this earlier, but the law was given to show man that sin is not a mere following of evil impulses, but a direct violation of the laws of God, and the consequence of our sins required justice or justification. You see, because God is just, what God has to do because of his character is he has to punish sin. He has to punish sinners when they decide to rebel against him. And that punishment, my friends, is eternal condemnation. The scariest thing that I could ever think about, eternal condemnation. People who reject Jesus, who live in their sin, those people are the ones that are going to experience condemnation for eternity because they break God's law, because they do this by nature, by decision, and then they align themselves as though they can live righteous enough or they can do their own thing and they trust in their own good works and sadly that is going to end them up where? In a place where they're receiving justice because you know what the Bible says? The Bible says if you break one law, you've broken all of them. How many of you have broken one law in this place? Come on, show your hand real quick, 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 quick. I want to see all the sinners in the room. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Can put your hands down. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Raise the roof. No, I'm just kidding. We shouldn't, we, shouldn't, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't rejoice in our sin like that. But, but here's the thing, right? We're all in here together. The question is, have I repented of my sin and put my faith in Jesus? Because justice has to be served. Or justification has to be offered. 
And the beauty is that Jesus doesn't want us to experience condemnation. And so what did the law do? Every time you look at the law, you're looking at the holy and perfect standards of God. And under the old covenant, what did they do? They had the law before them. It was read, and they memorized it, and they meditated on it. And when they recognized that they sinned, what did they do? They offered sacrifice every year. They had a day of atonement when there was a sacrifice that was made, a time of fasting and mourning. Every day, they, 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 there was a sacrifice in the morning and in the evening. And it was what? It, it was a reminder of their sin. That was what was happening every single day. And so the law was doing what? It was pointing to the need of a sacrifice, pointing to the need of a sacrifice. And then one day, according to the Bible, Jesus comes in the form of a man. He lives a perfect, holy life and does what? He dies as the ultimate, final sacrifice so that way we, you and I, can come to him, put our faith in him. And no longer do we have to make sacrifices, but we come to the one who made one sacrifice for all time, for all mankind, who will put their faith in him. That is what we do. We trust him and that is what the law did. So you know what this tutor did in those times? And I know I'm going over the time here, but here's the thing. What the tutors did in those times, I go over the time every week. I'm sorry, but, but anyway, you, if you, you come to second service, you're going to get a little bit more. But here's the thing. The tutors in the old covenant, they were, it, it, was, it was a slave. And what this slave did is he was in charge of taking care of the young men that were between 6 and 13. And this slave didn't teach them necessarily like school teacher. What this slave did, this slave took this child, make sure this child got to school, back from school, and he watched them. But what he did was he watched out for their morality. He watched out for their behavior, and he would point out to them, that's wrong behavior, this is how you're supposed to live. That's wrong behavior, this is what you need to do. He would point that out to them all the time, but you know what he couldn't do? He couldn't change their heart. He couldn't even change their behavior. All he could do was show them the right thing. They had to make a choice and make a decision, and can I tell you something? That's what the law does. That's what the law does. That's what the law will always do, but you know what the law does in our days? The law doesn't just point out our failures. It points us to our Savior. Because the law brought us to Jesus. That's what it does. The law brings us to Jesus. And so here, as I'm closing, here's the thing that becomes so imperative for us. Is that we understand that this message that I'm talking about today, about the law of God that shows us our sinfulness, we also have to make sure we don't forget the grace of God. And that we don't forget the grace of God that doesn't just, again, offer us a, a, a way to just get our sins forgiven all the time. But the grace of God changes us. And God wants to not just change our name, he wants to change our hearts. He wants to change our behavior. He wants to align us with his will. And so in the next few weeks, as we go through this series and we look at these Ten Commandments, I'm going to tell you something that's going to happen, and it should happen if you're really listening to the law of God, is you should begin sinking in your seat every week. You should start to feel like, man, I am terrible. I, I, I am. You, you, should, you should recognize your sinfulness as you're sitting in that seat. But you know what my goal will be to do by the end of every sermon is to offer you the grace of God. Because you know what? God knows we all fall short. He wants us to recognize that. So we walk in complete dependence upon him. Because what the law does is it brings us to Jesus. And then when we have come to faith, what does he say? He says, no longer are we under a tutor. See, no longer am I in bondage to the law, but I'm in relationship with a Savior. And so here's my closing question for you. Is your faith fully in Christ for salvation and sanctification? Is your faith fully in Christ for salvation? So the first part is, if you are not a believer, today is the opportunity to put your faith in Christ, to call upon him for salvation, to ask him to forgive you of your sin. Is your faith fully in Christ for salvation? But not just salvation, but is your faith in Christ fully for your sanctification in order to become more like Jesus, in order to become more like him? 
Listen, I said this, I said this earlier, and I'll say it again. It is so important for us to measure our lives. It's so important for us to measure our lives. Look back over the last 12 months. Are you more like Jesus from January of 2017 to January of 2018? Are you more like him? Okay, maybe a year is not long enough for you to measure that. How about three years? Think about yourself three years ago to today. Are you more like Jesus than you were three years ago? Okay, maybe three years is not long. How about six years ago? Are you more like Jesus today than you were six years ago? If the answer is no, then I have to say, look, you're not trusting Christ for sanctification. If you're still stuck in the same thing, if you're still battling the same sin, the answer is no. If you haven't put faith in Jesus for salvation, the answer is no. And today is the day that God calls you to put your faith in him and trust him for salvation for some and for sanctification for all. Amen? So I'll stand to our feet. Let's bow our heads. As you bow your heads, I just want to say we have commitment cards that are under your seats, that are outside in the lobby. And if you are putting your faith in Jesus Christ today, you, uh, we want you to fill out one of those commitment cards telling us what you've decided and that way we can follow up with you. And if there's not a, a place there, maybe you're recommitting your life to the Lord, want to make sure that you let us know that because we want to walk with you in this new year. I uh, want to walk with you every day, but starting today. And, and, and if you're a person that is just saying, man, God, I want to commit to you in sanctification. I want to commit and trust in you for sanctification. Today is that day. Repent. Today is that day. Call upon him. Today is that day. Don't walk out of here as though this sermon doesn't matter to you. It matters to all of us. Father God, we pray today that your Holy Spirit, that your power, that your presence would grip our hearts in a deep way. That you, God Almighty, would do something deep within us. I pray for those in this building that do not know you, God, that have not trusted you fully with their life for salvation. Lord, save them today. Break the chains that bind them. Let them not put their head on the pillow and start, and start dreaming before they have trusted in you, God. And Father, for those in this place that, Lord, when they looked at a year ago, they looked at three years ago, they looked at six years ago, they realized that they are no better. They might be worse off than they were then when it comes to being like you. God, let them know that there is hope in you. But let them truly repent. Let them truly commit to you. Let them truly yield their lives to you, Father. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. amen. Come on and give the Lord a hand of praise. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord.